This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. We are, we are a family of Christ followers, and, and we have found that we are stronger together than we are individually. So we've linked arms to accomplish God's purposes in the earth. And, and we do meet weekly in community groups, right? But we love coming together on Sundays and worshiping together corporately. At Harvest, as I said last week, we are a small expression of the body of Christ. We are a small gathering of Christ followers. And, and guys, whatever it may look like, as I said last week, we bless every church that, that, that declares the name of Jesus as Lord. Whether it's the Baptist church over here, the non-denominational church over here, the Assembly of God, or the Methodist, whoever it may be, we are all part of the body of Christ. And we worship the same God. Together here at Harvest, we, um, we, our vision, if you're part of the Harvest family, say it with us. What is our vision? Our vision is to make, grow, and equip followers of Jesus to fulfill their God-given purpose in life. And we do that through community, discipleship, and outreach. And so we've currently been discussing our identity and our responsibility in the body of Christ. And if it, those are in the body of Christ are those who have repented and they have surrendered to the lordship of Jesus in their life. And guys, you would agree with me, I'm sure, that there are crazy things going on in the earth right now. But here's the reality. The Bible says that we're not of this world. We're of a heavenly kingdom. And we have been given a standard to live this life by. That standard is the Bible, is the word of God. And the Bible tells us that it never changes. And our God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means regardless of what happens in this life, tough times are going to come. But we, the core of our life, we don't have to be shaken because we know who our God is and our hope is found in him. So six weeks ago... Uh, I started a series on Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And we know at this point when he writes this letter, um, Paul, he's in prison in Rome, and the Holy Spirit moves on his heart to write this letter to these Christ followers in this church that he helped establish in the city of Ephesus. Now, unlike other letters that Paul wrote, Paul was not, he wasn't necessarily addressing problems. Things were going really well for the church in Ephesus, uh, but we know that uh, this letter, the way it's broken down for us, it's six chapters, and the first three chapters, uh, is he, he's teaching them and reinforcing to them who they are in Christ, their identity in Christ. And then the last three chapters, he gives them a practical application of that truth in their lives. So Paul opens the letter uh, to, to Ephesus, to the Ephesians, uh, saying that he was writing it to the saints. What are saints? We said they are the holy ones set apart, the ones that redeemed. They're sanctified through their surrender to the lordship of Jesus. And he said, not just saints, but he said the saints that are faithful, those who were all in and they were devoted to serving God with their life. And so he begins in chapter one and he talks about how before the foundations of the earth, he said, God chose us and said that not just that, but he, he arranged that all spiritual blessing be provided for you and held in the person of Jesus until your redemption. And because of Jesus, we have redemption and we have forgiveness of sin. We have, we have wisdom. We talked about wisdom. We talked about prudence or, or good sense. All these things come according to the riches of God's grace. And it goes on, Paul went on to say that he makes known to us the mysteries of his will by the word of God through the Holy Spirit. So at the end of chapter one, we, we concluded last week, 
Paul is praying. He, he, he prays this prayer for the saints of God. And he said he prayed that, that as the saints, that our eyes, the eyes of our understanding would be opened. And I, I told you really what, what it's, it's better translated there, heart, the eyes of our heart or, or the eyes of our mind would be open to understand three things. The hope of our calling, the riches of our inheritance, and the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead that dwells in us. And that's how he ends chapter one. So chapter one was all about God's plan to redeem mankind from our sins. And remembering, as I told you a few weeks ago when we started, when the way Ephesians is broken down, it talks about God the Father, his plan. He's the author of the plan, right? God the Son, being Jesus, he executed the plan in the earth. And then God the Holy Spirit is left here with us, and he is the one who reveals the plan of God in our lives. So, chapter 2, as we move on into chapter 2 today, it is all about the work that Jesus did. The work of Jesus that put this plan of the Father into effect. And this plan, as we talked about in chapter 1, this plan, the plan that Jesus would execute, went back before the foundations of the earth. And so we know that to execute this plan, Jesus would have to, he would have to suffer the death penalty, wouldn't he? The spiritual death penalty, the, the penalty that was ours, what we deserved. He would have to suffer that death, the, the consequence of sin. He would suffer in our place. And so we're told that, that for the Christ follower, the Father saw us before the foundations of the earth. He could see through time. Remember how we talked about how God is timeless? He could see through time. He could see us through the redemption, through the blood of Jesus. And he could see us holy and blameless. How many of you know he could also see us before that? He could also see us before we received Jesus. And so he knew exactly what would be needed for our redemption. Why? Because he could see us holy and blameless through the redemption. But chapter 2 tells us how God found us before we were redeemed by Jesus. We know that before Jesus, we were spiritually dead and we were lost in our sin. He could see our situation before he planned the answer through Jesus. Does that mess up your mind just a little bit? The Father could see our situation and plan an answer through the blood of Jesus. So we know that before Jesus, we were under the curse, this curse of sin. That's why we were spiritually dead. We were subject to the world system. As we discussed earlier, the world system is under, under the authority of, of the enemy, of Satan. And we were also ruled by an unrenewed mind, the, the nature of the flesh. And so when God finds us initially, we're in pretty pitiful shape, right? And so moving on into chapter 2, as I said, we're going to break this down line by line. We're going to talk about each one and, and hopefully get through about 10 verses are here this morning. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, this is how he comes in, starts this. He says, and you, he, the Father, made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. So he's talking about us. We were made alive after we were found dead in our trespasses and sins. Now, trespasses and sins, this is how he found us. He found us dead in trespasses and sins. Now, the word trespasses is translated from a Greek word, paratoma. Paratoma means a failure or a misstep. In today's language, this would, be, this would be a blunder. We messed it up. 
but it actually kind of, it generally refers to an accidental or unknown sin. So we were dead in our trespasses, which could be these blunders that we made that were even accidental and maybe even unknown sins. And then it says, and our sins. The word sins is the Greek word hamaratima. Hamaratia, and it refers to an act of wrongdoing and it implies intentional sin. How many of us have committed intentional sins? We all have. How many of us have committed unintentional sins? Now, we live in a society that says, well, that's not fair. You, you can't be held responsible. You can't be held guilty for something you don't know is wrong. Oh, yeah, you can. You ever been pulled over when you didn't know you were speeding? <laughs> right? I had a situation I told you all a few weeks ago when, when my parents dropped me off in Dallas for school. One of, the, one of the first weeks I was there, I was driving down West Keys Boulevard in South Dallas, and I come around a corner, and all of a sudden there's blue lights behind me. I, I wasn't speeding. I didn't know what the deal was. I pulled over. Officer comes up and says, sir, do you, you know how fast you're going? I said, I think I do. And he said, that's way too fast to be moving in a school zone. I said, sir? I said, I didn't know I was in a school zone. He says, there's a sign right behind you. You just passed it. I was like, are you sure? He said, it's right back there. I had no idea there was a school zone. He comes back with a fat ticket. It was a fat ticket. I circled around later, guys, and there was a school zone sign there. I had to look very hard for, but there was a big tree branch down in front of it. I didn't see it before. If it was today, I probably would try to bring it from a judge and ask for a little leniency and maybe a tree branch be, be uh, trimmed. But here's reality. At the end of the day, if, even if I stood before a judge, I ended up taking defensive driving. And, anyway, at the end of the day, was I guilty of speeding in a school zone? I was. Was I guilty of potentially putting children at risk? Technically, even though I didn't know, Right? Aren't you glad that Jesus paid the penalty for even the sins that we didn't know we've committed along the way? A person can be lost in their sin and be guilty of known and unknown sins. So before we knew Jesus, we were guilty of these sins, known and unknown, and these things brought death into our life. But God, it says here in verse 1, made us alive, paying the penalty for even the sins we don't even know that we committed in life. Some people think they have to go back and try to remember. They're going back and trying to remember when they repent and try to receive Jesus. They're going, oh, Lord, I, what did, I did that back in the day, and I did that. And they're trying to make this list. No, just ask forgiveness. He forgives it all. He's a good God. So verse 1 said he made us alive when we were dead and trespasses and sin. Verse 2, in which you once walked. What did we walk in? Trespasses and sins. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. How many of you know when we were sinners, we walked in the ways of the world, just like Paul is saying here. Many people today see surrender to Jesus as bondage. They think what they're doing, if they, if they receive Jesus, if they become a Christian, they think they're giving up their freedoms and stepping into, into bondage. They think the way that they're living is actually freedom. They think they're independent. They're making their own way. They're making their own path. They're doing their own thing. They're doing what's right for them. The thing is, it's untrue. When we live according to the flesh, when we live by the, the nature of sin, what we're, we're, really, uh, we're be really being manipulated. We're being manipulated by, world's, by the world system. Uh, these folks are not doing their own thing. They're doing what's contrary to God's will and God's word. 
They're living according to the world system that's under the rule of the enemy, Satan. He is the one that this verse, verse 2, refers to as the prince of the power of the air. So those living in sin, those who have not received Jesus, are citizens of this worldly kingdom, the enemy's kingdom, under the control of the kingdom of the earth. And as we talked about last week, God has given us the authority to bring Satan and the powers of darkness into submission under the name of Jesus. That's why we pray in the name of Jesus. We talked about that authority that he gave us last week. We live under the authority to to be set free and and to set others free from the curse and to become citizens of heaven. Philippians 3.20 says just that. Philippians 3.20 says we are citizens of heaven. So we may live in this world, but we're not of it. If you have repented and surrendered to the lordship of Jesus... On that day that you became a a new creation in Christ, you became a citizen of a new kingdom. As we discussed last week, we have the power of faith. We have the the power of prayer available to us. We're told in Matthew that whatever we bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever we loose on earth is loosed in heaven. And as we talked about last week, we have that authority. We have authority over Satan, over the prince of the power of the air. Part of what Paul's saying here in verse 2. And, excuse me, you may remember, some of you may remember in in Daniel chapter 10, we got this story where where Daniel's praying, right? And um, and an angel was sent in response. You guys remember that? And, And in this, we know that the Bible tells us that when Daniel started praying, immediately that angel was dispatched from heaven to answer that prayer. He said it. But how long did it take that angel to get to his destination? took 21 days, didn't it? It took three weeks is what it says. And so even though he wasn't seeing a response, Daniel, he continues to stand. He continues to pray. He continues to contend. (laughs) Excuse me. And through, through his prayers, Daniel was able to hold back the power of darkness that allowed this angel to come through and to bring the answer. Guys, there is evil in the earth today. We can see it. We can see it out there. The enemy is wreaking havoc on the earth. He is here, but the Spirit of God is here too. And there are angels here too. And we, as men and women who have surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus, guys, we have authority in the earth. Jesus had authority in the earth through the resurrection. He gave that authority to us. So in verse 1, he made us alive. We were dead in trespasses and sins. When we walked according to the world system, which is ruled by Satan, verse 3, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. How many of us have been there? We conducted ourselves according to the lust of our flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, just as others, just as all the other worldly folks that had not received Jesus. Before we were born again, before we received Jesus, we were ruled, we were controlled solely by our flesh and our mind, by what we wanted. And, and actually, if you take note here in the scripture, it talks about our flesh, it talks about our mind, you could say our bodies and our soul, but it does not mention the spirit, does it? Unbelievers are not necessarily, people who are out there who have not received Christ are not necessarily under the control of a spirit per se. They're just under the the curse of sin, the sin nature, the nature of the flesh. They're being controlled 
by the flesh and the unrenewed mind. Because that's what we're born into, right? We're born into a sinful world. We talked about that. A, a, a son of a slave is a what? Is a slave. If you're born into a family that's under a curse, you're born under a curse. And that's what the Bible says. We were born into a family that was under a curse. We were born from the seed of Adam. Adam and Eve were under a curse. And everyone after that was born under that curse. But how many of you know Jesus came and he broke the curse so that we could have life and be made alive? When you're born into humanity, you're ruled by your flesh and your mind until you choose to surrender to the lordship of Jesus. Now, a few months ago, we talked about being out of fellowship with the Lord. You might remember that. In verse, in, I'm sorry, in, chapter, in Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to talk about that a little bit further. But a believer, how many of you know, somebody who's, who is a Christ follower, who has received Christ, they can be out of fellowship with God. And they can live in a way that looks just like the world. When you're out of fellowship with God, you, you can't be led by the Spirit or controlled by the Holy Spirit because you are you, out, you fall out of fellowship for a time, but this, this doesn't mean that, that your spirit is no longer sealed by the Holy Spirit. How many of you, since you have received Jesus in your life, maybe when you were a young child or whenever it may be, how many of you have sinned since then? You still belong to Jesus, right? We mess it up. What do we do? We repent and we move on and we believe. We know because the Bible says that he, he forgives us. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Most of us as believers have had those periods, but we're saved by grace, not by works, right? But a believer, somebody who has received Jesus, can be ruled by the flesh. How many of you know, there are plenty of believers being ruled by the flesh that go to church and give and act all spiritual, right? And maybe trying to impress God or convince themselves that everything is a-okay in their lives. And reality is God wants better for them, but they're not wanting to listen right now. And many times what happens is, many times the fruit that comes from their life, they'll look like an unbeliever in many ways. We might, and, and here's the deal. We remember how we talked about a few months ago about how what's on the inside does come out eventually? We can only hide what's really inside our hearts for so long before it comes out. And it's the same is true. You know, when we, when we go through the motions in our relationship with God, what's on the inside can come out. We can fake it and we can put on a great face, but what's on the inside will come out eventually. Romans 8, 6 says, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Like I talked about last week, we want to bring our mind into alignment with our renewed, with our spirit. And, 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 this is what, and that, that's when we have peace. That's what I talked about last week. When our mind comes into alignment with the spirit, this new creation spirit God has given us, then we have peace. And this is what Jesus talked about. We will have fruit that comes forth, and that fruit that comes forth will be what Jesus mentioned of being gold and silver and precious stones. But when our mind is, is not being renewed, when our mind is instead of being lined up with the spirit is lined up with our flesh, our fleshly desires, then what do we produce? Jesus said we produce wood and hay and stubble. So, the unbeliever, cannot be, the unbeliever cannot be led by their spirit because their spirit is what? It's dead. Right. They can't be led by their spirit because the spirit is dead. They're living a life that's separated from God. In verse, back there in verse 3, it says that we were children, uh, we, were, we were by nature children of wrath. Guys, here's the reality. Somebody who has not received Jesus, what they need the most is not to quit sinning. Hey, you know, it just took one sin to separate us from God. 
So what's another one after that? And another one after that. That's why when we, when we try to minister the love of God to, Jesus, we, to, to somebody, we don't go to them and try and tell them all the things they're doing wrong in their life. That's kind of irrelevant at this point. What they need is a savior. What they need is Jesus. They need a new nature. The outward issues aren't the problem anymore. One more sin for the unbeliever is not going to make a difference. He needs a new nature. The sinner is not a sinner because he sins. He sins because he's a sinner. That makes sense? If we take care of the identity issue, we'll take care of what comes forth from it. That's why, again, we don't try to clean people up and try to point fingers at them and tell them all the sins they're committing. I, I, I guarantee you they already know. Right? Um, they need their nature change, and Jesus is the only one that can do that. Acts 14 says that salvation can be found in no other name than the name of Jesus. So here's the deal. Doing good works, doing enough good works does not make you righteous. But being righteous produces good works. We have to surrender to the lordship of Jesus. He makes us righteous, and then good things come forth from us. When you witness to somebody, the point is not to get them to quit sinning. It's to point them to Jesus. They get born again, become a new creation uh, with a new nature. So in verses 1 through 3, we see how God found us. God finds us in pitiful shape initially. In verse 1, we were spiritually dead. In verse 2, we were under control of Satan's system. In verse 3, we were controlled by our flesh, by our sinful nature. And in verse 4, which is the next verse we're about to read, verse 4 we come face to face with the love of God, and this changes everything. Despite the condition that God found us in, He loved us. Verses two through four. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, verse four, chapter two, verse four. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love for which he loved us, let's stop there. We'll go to verse five in a minute. But God, who is rich in mercy, he talks about what pitiful shape we're in, and he says, but God. Guys, don't you, don't you love that? He talks about how bad our situation was, and he says, but God. But God, rich in mercy. The word rich here is actually the word, it's a Greek word, plesios, and it means wealthy, exceedingly rich, and richly ab abundant. Many of you, I, I, I I've did a lot of, of looking into uh, Greek and Roman mythology back in the day, and you, you probably know of the, the Roman god Pluto. And Pluto was the god of wealth. His name literally meant wealthy one. That's part of where this word uh, plusios comes from. And so plusios is where we get the word plutocrat, which, which means somebody, it describes somebody who is uh, so wealthy they have influence over, over people. Well, let me tell you this. This also describes God's mercy when he found us. He used his wealth, his wealth of grace, to influence us and to win us over. He's rich in love, he's rich in mercy, he's rich in grace. And when his grace, when God's grace is displayed toward us, guys, that's called, I'm sorry, when his, yeah, when his grace is, is displayed toward us, that is called mercy. Mercy brings God's grace to lost mankind. How many of you are thankful for that? So this principle is also seen in us as mankind because we know that God has given each of us a certain measure of faith, right? We talked about that last week. Faith is our means. Faith is our means 
of receiving God's grace in our lives. But it doesn't do any good until we put it into action. Faith put into action is what we call believing. That's what we did the day we prayed a prayer and we made Jesus Lord of our life. We put our faith into action and we believed. And that action made all the difference. Believing is a faith in action. Faith produces within us the ability to receive God's grace. Now, if you were thankful for that day when you received God's forgiveness and his grace and his mercy in your life. God's grace always comes first and then our faith comes to receive. Mercy, mercy is God reaching out to man, but faith is how man reaches back to God. You guys see the greatness of God's love already, the beginning of, of verse four? I mean, guys, this is, this is God the Father in heaven. What in the world did we possibly have to offer him? We came truly with empty hands. Everything that we have is because of his love and his grace and his mercy. We had nothing to offer. We were nothing more than a mess. But God, God so loved the world that he gave. Only God is capable of that kind of love. Every now and then we see humanity display an act of unusually great love, but nobody, no one has ever been loved the way that God loves us and continues to love us. Verse 5 says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. This is by, by the grace, uh, the, the, the grace that, by which you have been saved. He raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Guys, we should be so thankful because he loved us when there was nothing to love. He loved us when we were utterly lost and in despair. His love not only found us, but it cared for us enough that he decided he would not leave us in the condition he was when, that we were in when he found us. He gave us life. He raised us up out of the mess. And what Paul says, what he'd do here, he seated us with Jesus in heaven. Look, look, look back at verses 5 and 6. Yep, they're still on the screen. Verses 5 and 6. Three times you see the word together. It says, uh, it says, he made us alive together in Christ. He raised us up together and he made us sit together. Together is us and it's us and Jesus. Now, you guys do understand that God the Father could not redeem mankind, right? God the Father was incapable because as a holy God, he could not come in contact with sin. Man had sinned, so he couldn't come in contact with, with man, with fallen man, because we were literally born into sin. But he accomplished, the father accomplished his plan through Jesus, his son. Jesus became a man and took our place. Romans 6 says the wages of sin is what? It's death. But here's the deal. God can't die, right? How would you possibly kill him? He can't die. The only way he could take our sin, take our place, take our shame, was to become a man. And even this was part of the Father's plan before the foundations of the earth. Why? Because he knew this work of redemption that we would need, he knew it would be a work of substitution. And somebody would have to substitute and stay in our place to take the penalty. God the Father couldn't do it. Holy God. God couldn't substitute for man. Only man, only a man could step in 
and substitute for humanity. <clears throat> but as mankind, we could not do it ourselves. So what did Jesus do? God the Son became flesh and dwelt among us. He became sin, the Bible says, for us in the Father's place. Because Jesus had no sin of his own, the Father's able to raise him from the dead, right? When we receive Jesus, we identify with his his death, burial, and resurrection. So when God found us, we were a mess. We were dead in our sin. He wanted to raise us back to life and seat us in heavenly places. Getting from a place to death to a place of being seated in heavenly places with him would take quite a work. It would take the work of a mediator, and that happened in the man, the God-man, Jesus. Jesus the Son. And he could give us his authority. And he could seat us in heavenly places with him. So when Jesus raised from the dead... God's here's reality. He raised from the dead. When you receive Jesus, you're raised from the dead just like him, right? We are raised with him is what it says. We come alive. When Jesus ascended into heaven, uh, we ascend into heaven. He's seated in heaven. We too seated in heaven. Jesus and all believers were made to live life together. We were raised together. We were made to sit together in heavenly places. Acts 17 says, for in him we live and move and have our being. It's in him and in him alone, in Jesus. A few more verses. Uh, So we talked about he he made us alive together in him. In verse 6, he raised us up together. He made us sit in heavenly places. But here's the why in verse 7. Why did he do it? That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. As you would think God would have a good reason to go to all this hard work. Why did he want us seated in heavenly places in him? It says it right there in verse 7. For all eternity, he wanted to share with us the exceeding riches of his grace of in his kindness toward us. He simply loved us. End of story. God not only has a plan for our lives here on earth... After we surrender to the Lordship of Jesus, guys, God's plan for us extends throughout eternity. We will always, always have purpose. And with that in mind, think about this. Guys, if God has a plan for you in eternity, he has a plan to get you out of the mess that you're in right now too. Right? He will say, well, God still has a plan for me. Yes, he does. Doesn't matter how young, how old, what what the diagnosis is, whatever it may be, he's got a plan for you. And that plan will extend even into eternity. You may be going through a difficult time and it may seem like there's no way out, but you need to understand that God has a plan and he can pull you out of that mess. If your future is secure, it seems to me that we can rely on the confidence that our present is secure as well. Uh, One more thing I want you to see about this verse There is, guys, it talks about the exceeding riches of his grace. And I would present to you that there is far more, there is so much grace abounding toward us right now. But I would would tell you there is so much more grace. I I talked about the last couple weeks how God's grace will never run out. Well, there is even more grace. You know, his grace will still be extended toward us in eternity. James 4 tells us, it says, there is grace and more grace available to us. And it's from that grace that Philippians chapter 4 tells us that God supplies all of our needs. 
according to his riches. The exceeding riches of his grace, even into eternity. Guys, there is more than enough. It will never run out. God's reserves of grace will never be exhausted. Wrapping it up, three more verses. Verse 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, I, I was, I, I'm going to break down, I was going to break down a few words, but I, I kind of simplified this, a few of these Greek words. Because some of you, if you've studied any foreign languages or anything, there's such complexity sometimes in translations. And, and we see the same thing in the Greek language. And you've probably seen that over the last few weeks. Like, like last week, I, I mentioned five, I gave you five Greek words that we generally translate power in English. And they mean a little bit different thing. But in English, we only have so many limited words. And so it's hard to, it's hard to, to translate some of these things. Well, in this, you know, in English, if, if, if you like English, um, uh, hopefully you speak it. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you like the class or not. But uh, our, our, our son Aaron's taking two. He's taking an English comp and a what right now? He's like, I got eight papers in nine weeks to write. I love English, guys. Anyway, you may know that in English, um, we have tenses, right? And, and you've got like past, present, future, and past simple, and, and past perfect, and, and all these different. Well, in, in, in Greek, and, and I think there's one other language, I think it's Sanskrit, there's, um, there's, the, there's another tense that you may not have heard of called the aorist tense that's used frequently. And aorist is the past tense, is a, it's the past tense of a verb without, without duration, without completion. And... So, so this an action presented in the aorist tense, it, it started at one point and it has continued to happen or it is happening over and over again in a regular interval. Does that make sense? And so, for instance, Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. The word redeemed in Greek that's translated redeemed is in the aorist tense. This means that the, the work of redemption in your life is ongoing with no end. Well, back at verse 8. If you look at verse 8, the word saved, for you have been saved, by grace you have been saved through faith. The word saved actually combines this aorist tense in, and the present tense into one tense. It implies that the action took place in the past, but the results continue. Guys, upon our true repentance and surrender to the lordship of Jesus the bible says we were made a new creation and we were given eternal life and from that moment that work has continued right on up till today you may not feel particularly clean before god right now you may have messed it up you may not feel particularly saved right now but guys, here's reality. If you surrender to the lordship of Jesus, if you were saved in the past, all you've got to do is repent and move on and know that that eternal life that became yours when you said yes to Jesus continues on. And grace and faith, we've talked a lot about, about a lot the last few weeks. Grace and faith go together. We talked about how God's grace is received by faith. Grace is God reaching out to us but faith is us reaching out to God. But what did verse 8 say? It said, for, for by grace you have been saved through faith, 
and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. I love here that Paul says, look, you've been saved by faith, through faith, not of yourselves, right? He, he, he tags that on at the end after the comma. It, it, you, he, he's saying, you didn't do this. What's not of ourselves? Well, the first thing we think of when, we, when he says not of yourselves, first thing we would think of, what's not of ourselves? First thing you would almost think of is grace. But that, that's really too obvious. Guys, I believe that what he's talking about here, because I'll show you a couple other scriptures real quick before we close, but I believe he's talking about faith. Even the faith was not of ourselves. Because we, he just said there that, that faith is a gift from God. Let me show you. Ephesians, I'm jumping ahead a couple weeks here, but in, in chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, it says, According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of who? Him. By the faith of him. In Acts chapter 3, we got Peter, he, he, we see the healing of this, this crippled man at Gate Beautiful. And what does Peter say? In, in Acts 3, he says, and by his name, through faith in his name, this man has been made strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him, the him is a capital H, it's talking about Jesus, has given him the perfect soundness in the presence of you all. For by grace, back to verse, verse 8 and 9 in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not that of yourselves. That faith is a gift from God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Guys, when it came to even receiving the grace of God, we had no ability on our own. The Bible clearly tells us that we've all been given a measure of faith. Now, can you grow your faith? Yeah, you can. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? But we can't make faith. We can reproduce it, but we can't create it because God's the one that puts it within us. We don't have the ability to receive his grace. He's the one who puts that faith within us that we can exercise and receive. We can't even receive what he's trying to give us. He has to give us what we need to receive it. Does that make sense? Or am I just confusing you? I, I was thinking how... Um, uh, a, a few, uh, actually it was last year, I think, that um, me and Lauren and Aaron got to, got to take a friend's Tesla out on the road and, and went driving. If you ever, you ever seen a Tesla, that, that's, a, that's a pretty awesome car, guys. If, if my iPhone could be the coolest car ever, it would be a Tesla. Um, we take this thing out. Say, but say Elon Musk, he, he designed the Tesla. Uh, say, say he is your friend and he brings by the brand new 2021 Tesla X Performance SUV. High end. And you go drive it around and you love it. You're like, this is awesome. You're like, I would love to have one of these. And he says, yeah, let me tell you, uh, it starts at 99990 bucks. I looked it up. It really does. What do you do? You do like most of us would do. You laugh and go, <laughs> I can't pay for something half that price, you know, right? And then he tells you, well, I'll tell you what. He gets on his phone for a second and he says, I just wired the money into your account to cover the cost of the car. Not only did he design the car, but he gave you the ability to receive it. Does that make sense? This is what God did. 
We had nothing to offer. We were utterly dead and lost. And he gave us everything, including the ability to receive him. Faith is not only our means of receiving salvation, it's our means to receiving everything else that God has promised. Peace, freedom from worry and oppression, healing, finances, all these different things. They all come through exercising the faith that God has given us. We all have faith that's given by God, and, and we should grow that faith, but understanding and recognizing that God's the one that gave it. And that faith, it says at the end of verse 9, is the gift of God not of works, lest anyone should boast. So guys, from this perspective, who do we have to give credit to? If we didn't even have the faith to receive God's promise, that him giving us that, how in the world can we take credit for anything? All the glory and all the honor always belongs to him. It's all his. But since everything came from him, every promise Salvation and everything that comes along with it, and even the means to accomplish it, including our faith, he's the one that we live to honor, lest anyone should boast. And in addition to that, yeah, guys, the Bible is very clear that we're not to worship, we're not to worship the gifts. We're, we're to worship the giver of the gifts. Faith is a tool to attain the blessing and the promises of God in our life, but we shouldn't, we shouldn't ever fall in the trap of worshiping faith. Faith is not our God. All worship belongs to the Father because he has loved us with a great love. And he has even gone so far as to give us the ability to receive that love. Last verse, verse 10. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let me give you one more Greek word here. The word we translate workmanship comes from the Greek word Puima. Puima. Sound like another word? That's where we get the word poem. And if you think about a poem, and, and well, if you look at the word, the way um, puima is, is referenced in this verse, it's, it's referring to a special creation of God. And you are that special creation. You think about, think about a poem. When you read a beautiful poem. Who do we give credit to? Do we, do we look at it, read it, and go, wow. And what, do, we, do we give credit to the piece of paper and the ink that was used to write it? No. We go, wow. What an author. What a beautiful artistic masterpiece that they wrote. And says that we are God's beautiful masterpiece as mankind. That's you and me. We are God's creation. We are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece. Priceless and worth everything to him. Even so much so that from the beginning of the found, before the foundations of the earth, he had a plan for your life. And he arranged for your redemption so that you could be saved from the curse of sin. It says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Guys, we don't do good works to get saved. We choose to follow Jesus, and we do good works. We were born into a sinful nature, children of wrath, but Christ changed our nature on the inside. Good works don't produce a good nature. However, a good nature 
produces good works. A new creation in Christ, a life made alive, a life redeemed, will produce good works in our lives, won't it? We're going to stop there at verse 10. We'll continue on, uh, continue on next week. But why don't we stand? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up before we close here in just a moment. Guys, let's all just bow our heads for, for just a moment. We've got a, quite a bit of you that are watching online. We've got a good crew watching online and, and a good crew here in person. And um, doesn't matter whether you're here in person or whether, you're, whether you're, you're, you're tuned in over the internet right now. As God is with you, he's right there. You don't have to be in a church building, in a gathering of believers, of Christians to, to stand before God, to be in his presence, to talk to him. You don't have to be at an altar in order to repent and to ask God to forgive your sins. You don't have to go run into a front of a church building to accept Jesus as Lord of your life. And so before we close, I just, as we do every week, I want to give just a second, just a second and I, I want to give, if you, haven't, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, I want you to make the decision to do, to do so today. We think about how, you know, when we receive him, we receive eternal life. But guys, that eternal life doesn't, that eternal life doesn't just start the day we die. We are eternally alive the moment we say yes to Jesus. You may recognize in your life right now that, that you have not made Jesus Lord of your life and, and, and you're living this life from that position we were talking about in the flesh where you're living to serve your own wants and needs and desires. And I'm sure you've recognized by now that that leaves you so helpless and alone. It leaves you hopeless, desperate for peace. Why? Because we weren't meant to live according to our flesh. We were meant to serve as sons and daughters of God. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, the Bible says you repent of your sinful ways. Repent doesn't just mean say sorry. It means to turn away from, to put them away. Secondly, it tells us we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, believing he's the Son of God, that he died, he took the penalty that you deserved. And he paid that debt so that you could be free, so that you could be raised to life just like him. Or you may be here and you'd say, you know what, I... I may have prayed a prayer at one point in my life, but I, I, I really need to get some things right in my life. I need to rededicate my life to God because, I, man, I've been living for myself and things aren't really going my way and I just recognize today that I need God. Doesn't matter if you've prayed before, that's okay. Doesn't matter if you've received Jesus before. If you find yourself in a desperate, hopeless situation right now and you realize that God's not first in your life, I invite you to pray along with us and just as a prayer of rededication, saying yes to the Father saying, Jesus, you haven't been number one in my life in a while, but I, I'm going to put you back where you deserve in my list of priorities. We're going to pray this prayer. You can pray with me. You can pray something like it, whether you're here in person or online. The important thing is that God hears and he listens. And if you mean this with all your heart, everything changes. Just say a prayer something like this. Just say, Heavenly Father, I recognize I'm lost and alone. I recognize that I'm dead in my sin.
I recognize that I deserve judgment. I recognize that I'm bankrupt without Jesus. Today I repent. I turn from my sinful ways. And Jesus, I choose to follow you. And I'm gonna do things your way. Jesus, I believe that you're who you say you are. You're the son of God, made flesh. You're my substitution. You're my redeemer. I believe you went to that cross and you paid the debt that I owed. You paid the penalty that I owed. And today, I call you savior. I make you Lord of my life. I thank you that you're my sacrificial lamb. Jesus, I will serve you. I'll follow you all the days of my life. No turning back. Holy Spirit, fill me and empower me that I can be everything that you created me to be. I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277. You are Lord, I'm a